are listening to the Unsung Lung Podcast, presented by Alberta Lung. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Unsung Long Podcast. As always, it's me, your host, Jacob Sperling. Now, I do have to make an apology right off the top. For those who are accustomed to new episodes coming out on the first of every month, I am truly sorry for how late this one is coming to you. April was an incredibly busy month for me, juggling final essays and all my final exams. So while many say it's better late than never, I do apologize for those who were looking forward to a show earlier in the month. Okay, so let's get on to today's show. Our guest on this episode is nobody other than Alberta Lung's Chief Operations Officer, Nina Snyder. Nina has been working at Alberta Lung for many years now, and she has seen so many changes in lung health sciences, advocacy, and the nuances of charitable work. Today, we will be talking about Nina's own lung health condition, as well as her mother's. At the age of 47, Nina's mom was diagnosed with an alpha-1 antitrypsin enzyme deficiency, say that 10 times fast, (laughs) which caused her to develop emphysema. As a non-smoker, Nina's entire family were shocked with the diagnosis. However, the enzyme deficiency turned out to be genetic, so that connected a bit of the dots for them. It was a very slow disease progression lasting over 11 years. Nina and her family didn't know how much environmental factors like fire pits and cleaning with chemicals could make the disease so much worse. This is something that Nina champions today with lung health presentations at Alberta Lung that we give out to different schools and any kind of groups that request a a lung health presentation. The worst thing about her mother's disease was that her family could not take her anywhere without always watching her. Being in a wheelchair in the latter stages of her disease progression and on oxygen, people would often stare at her. But even worse was the people who would come right up to her and say that she deserved to be in a wheelchair and on oxygen because she smoked. That is the major theme of today's episode, the stigma that comes along with many different lung diseases. Oftentimes, lung disease is out of the control of the person who has to deal with it every single day, and we have to be able to show compassion for those who are already dealing with enough as it is and stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. We'll also touch on Nina's own lung condition and how it has affected her daily life in numerous ways. So with that, I'll send us right through to our interview with my boss, Nina Snyder. Okay, well, I am so excited to be sitting down with one of the head honchos of Alberta Lung, the Chief Operations Officer, Nina Snyder. How's it going today, Nina? Excellent. Excellent, Jacob. How are you? I am very good. It's The weather's picking up around here. The forest fires aren't good, especially for lung conditions, but uh, it's nice at least. It's nice at least. It's getting nicer. Yeah. 
Amazing. So before we dive into everything lung disease and stigma, let's get a little background about you and Alberta Lung. So maybe tell our listeners when you started at the organization, why you joined and what your duties consist of in your current role. Um, So I began at Alberta Lung for the first time in 2000. And I say first time because I worked with them for about three years uh, and then moved to New Brunswick. So um, started doing other things there. But then in 2008, uh, I felt the call back to Alberta. So I moved back and began working for Alberta Lung again um, as their operations uh, director. So that helps me uh, enormously um, personally because my passion has always been you know, uh, um, from my experience with my mom um, and her passing away relatively early from emphysema, I really wanted to do something that was worthwhile. Uh, so my employment with Albert Lung was actually uh, something I worked towards um, and and really wanted very, 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 very badly. Um, at this point, uh, managing both our fundraising and health teams, that allows me to work very closely with both fundraisers and health, and health, and allows me to work directly with patients and their families. So I work closely with them to determine what their needs are, and then we assist in developing programs and services to meet those needs. So kind of keeping my mom's memory alive. Um, by helping others who suffer from challenges just like she did. Yeah, well, that's a very valiant career. I guess a lot of people can't say that they, they're doing what they want to do or they love or has a specific goal in mind. So that's amazing to hear. So before we dive into talking about your mom, that's that's a big part of today and the stigma. I mentioned in our introduction that you struggle with a lung condition yourself. So can you let us know what that entails? Sure. Um, I have recently uh, discovered that I have both obstructive sleep apnea and severe asthma that's triggered by scents. So a lot of people feel that asthma is something that we can control by calming ourselves down or that it isn't life-threatening. Um, the reality is we lose five Canadians a week to asthma and many more Um it, many more are affected by lung disease of some sort. Over one in five Canadians suffer from it. Uh, not a lot of people really understand what it's like not being able to breathe. Uh, and I think that's what, what really results in a lot of the stigma and the challenges that people face is, you know, number one, over a quarter of Canadians feel that, you know, asthma is not a big deal. Um, and that it's not something you really should have to take medication for, you know, that it's something that the individual can control, which it really isn't. Well, isn't the, the, the stat, I can't remember which doctor we were talking to, but, uh, they were mentioning that asthma attacks are like the number one reasons for hospital visits in Alberta or, or Canada wide. I, I believe I heard that. Yeah. Top, top two reasons for preventable hospitalizations. Right are COPD and asthma. And that that's pretty significant when you think about that. You ask any uh, paramedic why they take people to hospital 
And most of the time they're going to say, I'm taking people who can't breathe. Yeah, definitely. And that's not a problem that well, it's a huge problem. And, and I don't think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but you're a huge proponent of it. The the coffee stir stick challenge that we do with people in person when we give presentations, we give people coffee stir sticks and we ask them to breathe through it. And that's what it feels like when you're having an asthma attack or when you have COPD. Oh, absolutely. If you ever wanted to um, feel what what someone feels like when they're having an asthma attack or um, severe COPD, just take a coffee stir stick and plug your nose and try to take three deep inhalations and exhalations through it. And then imagine all the things that you cannot do while you're breathing like that. That's how my mom breathed in the final years of her life. That's how um, I feel when I can't get enough air in and I can't get enough air out when I'm having an asthma attack. Right, exactly. So so mentioning your mom and her condition, uh, let's jump into, into that conversation. And I mentioned in the introduction, uh, she has, she had, uh, I, I'll, I'll let you explain what, what the condition was. I can't remember, anti, something anti-trypsin, but uh, what, yeah. I, I'm just wondering what your family's, yours and your family's initial reactions were to the diagnosis. Well, she had mentioned to her GP several times about feeling breathless. And he just kind of said, you've got six kids, you're running around after them. Um, you've got every right to be out of breath. But it continued to persist. And then uh, eventually, he finally took note and um, had sent her to the hospital for the pulmonary function tests that were required at that time. Because the tests were a week long, um, my dad couldn't take time off work. So I was 19 and I took her for a full week of the testing that was required. The final day, I remember her getting into my car and telling me that they diagnosed emphysema. We both cried uh, because it was it was devastating news. And while I knew very little about it back then, I knew it wasn't something she was going to recover from and that it wasn't something that she could receive treatment for. So my family was relatively young. I still had my younger brothers and sisters were, you know, in their early teens. So um, we were still a very young, active family. And to have this diagnosis uh it was horrible it was horrible definitely and, and it wasn't until eight years later into mm -hmm. the disease progression that you, you discovered that it was from a genetic condition so do you have any clue as to why it took that long i can't like i don't know just in my head i it doesn't really make sense because what else would it be from your mom wasn't a smoker so any no. any any reason why it took that long that was the confusing part because she hadn't ever um, smoked. Now, my family comes from England. So my dad was spent a short time as a coal miner um, and they both lived in coal mining communities. But the progression of the disease and how quickly it happened was confusing to, to everybody. But like we've talked about before, time and research 
is what had an impact on that. So every year she seemed to have more and more difficulty breathing. She had to stop working. And then eventually she was on oxygen only at night. And that progressed into during the day. Um, so, and each, each time she would get a cold or pneumonia, it got more and more severe. And then she began getting hospitalized. Um, at that point, the world had begun to look into treatments for emphysema and COPD. And at that point, they discovered that it wasn't always related to tobacco use. Um, something we could have told them because my mom wasn't a smoker. But around 5% of those people that suffer from emphysema are genetic. And they call it, it's an alpha-1 antitrypsin enzyme disorder. So they eventually went on to discover better treatments for it. But unfortunately, not in time for my mom. So is is there, speaking of treatment, I, I know very little about emphysema. Is there... Is there like any kind of drugs you can take to slow disease progression or some kind of physio to keep lung functioning up? What like uh, I know your mom's disease uh, was was a little a little while ago now, but has have things gotten better, I guess, in treatment is what I'm wondering. Uh, things have things have have gotten better. Um, there are better treatments. Um, the alpha one antitrypsin deficiency is. Um, that enzyme is created by your liver and it helps to prevent disease in both your liver and your lungs. So for my mom, when she got pleurisy or pneumonia, uh, her liver did not produce enough of the enzyme to protect her lungs. Um, so that was a challenge. And researchers have now said that, you know, it, it has, um, effect on the liver by, you know, they're more prone to cirrhosis of the liver, definitely more prone to emphysema. Uh, so um, the alpha-1 enzyme deficiency is, it's common too among those who have Viking ancestry. So that was something that I learned just about eight years ago in attending um, some of the Edmonton Thoracic Society faculty meetings. So it was, it was kind of a interesting to discover that link. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> where, where does Viking ancestry come into your, your family tree and, and the history? Well, like I said, I'm originally from England. So my family emigrated in 1969. Um, and uh, I actually have family that live up in the north of England, which was where the Vikings uh, first invaded. So I am assuming that I am one of the descendants of the Vikings that settled in the Yorkshire, Surrey area. And a lot of them did. Um, but without getting too technical, the Vikings evolved in their own area, but were prone to certain diseases. So because alpha-1 is an enzyme deficiency affecting the liver and lungs, this enzyme wasn't helpful to their survival in the areas that they were that they lived in. So over time, they produced less and less of it. But then as they began moving out into the rest of the world and started their invasions and so on, um, 
living in the UK, um, they didn't need, they didn't need to protect their uh, liver and lungs anymore by producing less of the enzyme. So that's the deficiency that is actually traced back to them. Right. That makes sense. So going back to your mom's disease progression, I haven't even asked you what your mom's name is yet. Can can we get that just for for posterity, I guess? <laughs> okay. Well, she always said her parents had must have had a good sense of humor. Um, I'll give you all of her names. <laughs> it quite frustrated her that she didn't really have one that she really liked throughout her life. Um, she was called Ethel Mildred Valerie. Osmar. Morehouse was her married name, but Durbridge was her maiden name. So everyone called her Val because that was really the only acceptable one she thought out of the lineup. That's fair. I can sympathize. I have parents that went full Old Testament on my name and I have four names, including my last name. So I get it. I get the annoyance, <laughs> but so, so in kind of coming back to that and the disease progression, what was it like watching it slowly get worse over time? I can only imagine it would have been incredibly difficult just watching it, like uh, watching her condition deteriorate. So did it, was it pretty consistent or did it pick up at a certain time and then just went like downhill really hard or what, what was the disease progression like? Well, uh she was um she was only 47 when she was diagnosed so she had gone from being a very vibrant person my mom was a character um there were loads and loads of things that she enjoyed and she was very active she sewed she sang she you know there were six of us so she had a lot of a lot of energy um but she'd never been very big a person uh and her her weight and keeping weight on was something that she struggled with uh, as well as normally uh, that is one of the things that folks with emphysema do struggle with is keeping weight on because for them uh walking is like running a marathon uh so at the start of her disease we didn't really notice any anything detrimental because we were used to her you know, having to slow down and gasp for breath and pace herself, but that steadily got worse. Um, everything that she was exposed to, uh, I mentioned, you know, catching a cold. Um, catching a cold would often lead to pneumonia, and pneumonia would put her in hospital. Um, and we know that with people that have lung disease, hospitalizations uh, can be deadly. Um, especially disease progression, because they come out and they've lost something. Um, and this is why we recommend getting the flu shot um, for our seniors, because, you know, retaining that mobility and the things that they can do is really important. It was even more important with my mom because of the emphysema. Um, there was no such, you know, we didn't wear masks back then, but would that have been able to protect her? Absolutely. Um, so those kinds of challenges, there's loads of things that, uh, we, if I had known then what I, what I know now, we probably could have had a, helped her with a, a better quality of life. But as it was, you know, hindsight, we didn't. 
So her life diminished over the 11 year period. Um, as I said, she went from, you know, not very visible differences to being in a wheelchair, being on oxygen full time. There was no traveling. There was no, her life was really reduced in the, in the later two or three years to, uh, the bedroom and the living room. So there wasn't, you know, she had, um, she had a scooter, but it was difficult for her to, because she was so very tiny, she was only 85 pounds, moving the oxygen equipment um, wasn't something she could do on her own. So she's very reliant on everyone in our family to help with meals, even to make her a cup of tea. And she couldn't bathe more than once a week the last two or three years, because like I said, it was like running a marathon for her. Yeah, that's incredible. And going back to those factors you mentioned that you wish you knew, some of those are environmental and things that I mentioned. I think I mentioned in the introduction, but things like fire pits and cleaning with chemicals. And this even ties back to your condition, where if you if if someone's wearing a really strong scent, it can throw you into an asthma attack. So maybe talk a little about that. And, and we speak about that in our Breathe Smart presentations, just being like chemical sensitive. So what, how does that connect to the emphysema, to your condition, and kind of just to lung disease in general? Well, um, when I, when I encounter someone who's wearing a lot of perfume, um, it will trigger an asthma attack. And if I don't have my rescue inhaler handy, that can be uh, very problematic. There are loads of times where I've ended up having to go sit in my car uh, rather than finish a meal when I can't breathe. Um, so I immediately have to leave the area. And in fact, I probably missed half of my son's wedding dinner because um, there were so many people wearing perfumes. It just overwhelmed me. And it's almost, I had to go it's almost like you have to put it on the invitation. No strong sense. <laughs> yes. And, it, it, you know, but pe a lot of people not knowing, they think it must be just the, the smell that I don't like, which, um, you know, which is uh, just not it. It's not about the smell. It's the fact that I have a physical reaction. I end up not being able to breathe. And sometimes it triggers a quite severe respiratory infection. Um, and that's that's difficult because then I'm off work. Uh, for three or four days and it makes me very very ill and how, how does uh did the environmental factors connect back to your mom and like would would that also trigger kind of uh, uh, uh i don't know what the word i'm looking for like an an episode where she would be hard of breathing if she came into contact with Absolutely. smoke or anything she would have to use her inhaled medications. Um, she was on Ventolin was one of them. There were quite a few that she had. Uh, we just couldn't risk her exposure. So things like wildfires, um, she would have been restricted to the house. Windows closed, no matter how hot it was, um, because there was just no way we could ris risk any of that. It's uh, people with severe lung conditions like COPD, emphysema, uh, they have very, very restricted, restricted, isolated lives. Um, and that's, that's really challenging because we should all be able to, you know, move freely and have choices. Um, but when you are triggered 
like myself for perfumes, you're not entering uh, a, a drugstore <laughs> with the perfume counter at the front. You know, there are certain doors um, in the mall that I go in to avoid the perfume counters and the laundry aisle because I can also be triggered by fabric softener um, or hand lotion. Or So it, I really never know when I'm going to encounter it. Gyms are problematic for me because so many people will spray their deodorant or their hairspray or their perfume before they leave the, the gym. And I can't tolerate it. So uh, it's, it's a challenge when you really have to think, you know, I want to go out for dinner, but do I want to run the risk of having an asthma attack and not being able to finish my meal or, or anything like that? Um, going to the ballet or a movie theater, um, there is always that concern. Yeah. Huge. Even an airplane. You know, I flew recently to Montreal for a conference, and you're just hoping that there isn't anyone using strong perfumes or scents or colognes on the plane, because then you, I really can't get out of it. Right. Definitely. And, and many people, I feel like, would would kind of generalize and think that this is a rare circumstance, but it's not really a lot of office buildings are going completely scent free. You'll see the signs on the, on the front of their doorways before you even enter. So it, it's not, it's certainly not uncommon, it, even just for well being. it's not good to inhale those chemicals, even if you don't have a lung condition. Right. So. Well, when you think about often when we go to schools and we talk about great smart sessions and we, I always ask them getting ready for school today, how many, how many of you used scented shampoo or conditioner? Did you use lotion? Um, did you put hair product in your hair? Do you have uh, scented candles in your home? Do you use Febreze? And we add up all those things. And often we're exposing ourselves to three or 4,000 chemicals on a daily basis. So those kinds of things have a huge impact on our, on our lungs. Everything that we inhale has an impact. And I often talk to people about, we never know the point of no return for any of us. I didn't develop this asthma until later. I was 55 before I discovered that I had scent induced asthma. Uh, so we continue to develop and to age and things change for us. Definitely. Yeah, of course. So in moving kind of to today's, I want to say central topic, because I've always wanted to talk about st stigma and specifically the stigma of lung disease on the show. So you mentioned that some people would actually come up to your mom and say that she deserved to be in the wheelchair and on oxygen because they believe that she smoked leading to her emphysema. So essentially that she got what she had coming, which is horrible to even think about but it's the world we live in that's that sometimes people do that so knowing that your mom's condition was completely genetic and i guess even if it wasn't even if she did smoke she wouldn't deserve to be treated like that but how did these confrontations make you feel and just like what do you say when it happens how do you console your mother what what's what goes on when when something like this happened to your mom it was really difficult for us to try and um make sense of it especially back then when we didn't we didn't really know uh don't want to 
you know, the last thing you want to do is upset someone else. So we, you know, we really kind of try and stay away from um, getting into getting angry or being combative. Um, you know, the, the challenge, the challenge though was so real. People were actually felt that it was okay to, um, to approach my mom and say, you know, well, you're in that wheelchair because you were, uh, you were a smoker. And the, that assumption just, you know, doesn't, there are many, many things that we do that have an impact on our health. Um, there's type two diabetes. A lot of cancers can be, uh, I won't say prevented, but, um, a lot of cancers are, are, well, preventable. However, uh, the fact that we get that disease, that we are challenged, it, how we got there really doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter to us at Alberta Lung whether we are talking to someone who has emphysema like my mom that is genetic or someone that has COPD as a result of tobacco use or farmer's lung or any of those things that we do that can have a negative impact on our health because we don't we don't know exactly where where or when our point of no return is um we all know 90 year olds that have smoked and 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 drank and and have made challenging lifestyle choices and they're still around and yet people like my mom who died in her 50s from something that she had no control over. Yeah, and something I'm thinking about now that's pertinent in these times in Alberta, like right now, is firefighters. If like if you think about an old man 20 years from now who who fought the fires when he was 50 or 60 right now and he's in a wheelchair, you're you're gonna make a comment like that. Like even just imagine if your mom was a firefighter. We don't know. Like, what if they did something valiant like that, whether it's a genetic condition or they were a firefighter and they inhaled the smoke all day because they were saving lives like who do you think you are that you can talk to people like that even if they brought their condition on themselves you don't think that that condition is is kind of ruining not ruining but like it's hard enough as it is let alone you talking down to them like that you know well the that stigma can it can get in the way of proper diagnosis it can get in the way of proper treatments um and it's it gets in the way of providing people with proper care and and attention. Um, people who suffer from lung cancer, I we talk to them because they're you know not only does the general population think they've done something to deserve it, but in many cases they do as well. Well, it's you know, I chose to be a firefighter. I chose to put myself in harm's way, or I chose to continue farming. I knew that the chemicals or the, um, you know, the environment would have an impact on my lungs. Welders, uh, for an example. Um, even even folks out at uh, out at the airport, the their exposure to jet fuel. Um, many of them are. People are saying, well, I've actually done something myself. So they themselves don't feel like they deserve that care and attention and treatment. 
which is absolutely terrible that someone with lung cancer or emphysema or COPD will not seek uh, care or treatment because they feel horrible about asking for resources when, you know, I, I feel like I did this to myself. That's just, that just shouldn't, it shouldn't even happen. It really shouldn't happen, especially since you and I both know that tobacco products are engineered to be horribly addictive. That's the whole reason why they are they are being developed. And I can guarantee you that right now there, there's scientists in the lab somewhere trying to make it more addictive. So with something that is so difficult to control, difficult to break through, uh, break free from because it's engineered to be that way. We need to have a little bit more compassion and care. My my mom was devastated that people would approach her, um, and she would always feel a tremendous amount of guilt, especially because we didn't know, you know, how she got how she got um, emphysema. And even when after when she did know, what do you do? Do you say, well, no, really, this is genetic, and I'm. I have Viking descendants and, you know, even my, even myself, um, unless you actually see me having an asthma attack, it's very difficult for people to uh, not think that I'm just, you know, not liking their perfume. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And I think over the past few years with COVID, lung disease and stigma has really come to the forefront because it's, it's almost a clash and it almost becomes political between conservative and liberal and you don't want it to be like that but people that are still wearing masks today that need to because they have a lung condition and they can't be in your local costco walking past someone who has covid that doesn't know it and and i think back to ian curry and i talked to spoke about this on the last episode and that he needs to wear a mask in public still because if he catches covid it it could end his life so, so wh why do people look down on that? And, and I, I'd love to grab your opinion on, on how you think masks and kind of bringing it lung disease and everything like that to the forefront so that people see it and people see the masks and whether they say, well, why are you still wearing that? COVID's over. You don't need to, or people that are in support of it and really don't care why you're wearing it, just that they're glad that you are so that you're safer. Yeah. I'm. That's it, it's it's kind of doing what I do. It's it's kind of beyond me to really figure out why people um, feel that what someone else is doing to protect themselves is uh, is not within their human rights. And I often explain to people that my rights as a human begin. Um, in the same place that yours does. Your right to wear perfume, and it is a right, um, is fine as long as it doesn't impede my right to breathe. Right? Uh, so um, I think there's been so many, uh, so much misinformation, disinformation, and, uh, you know, the theory about why that is, is there's, there's huge amounts of, you know, the communications are intentional. They're meant to confuse. They're meant to uh, misinform people. Um, but 
for someone like Ian Curry, who's just got a brand new set of lungs and they're only uh, a year old. I think he had his uh, surgery in April or May of last year. Um, he's trying to do everything possible uh, to protect himself because he is on medication that suppresses his immune system. So he doesn't reject those drugs. So for him, uh, he's protecting his his life. Someone had to uh, someone had to pass away to give him a second chance at life. So he's doing everything he can to protect himself. So and so would so would we all uh, if we did have that, you know, that whole second chance at life is um, it's it's important that we embrace that and do everything that we can. We need to care for others. Um, I it's just my philosophy because watching my mom suffer and the impact that it had on our family and you know the children that she never got to meet my nieces my nephews um, we are a giant family of over 40 people um, and missing that that matriarch that person who is so very very important to all of us um, is something that I just don't want other people to have to experience that you know restricting her life to where in the later years, she couldn't make herself a cup of tea. She couldn't clean house. She couldn't do laundry. She could barely uh, dress herself without help. So, and she was a very vital woman. She used to say, you know, especially with lung disease, um, depression goes hand in hand. Um, she used to say, I dreamt, I dreamt that I was playing basketball last night. And then I got up. And I discovered that I couldn't. But that feeling for her of being able to do something normal that she loved um, just felt like it was taken away from her all over again. So uh, people's words can hurt. Um, but we all have we all have choices. So her choice was just to not go out, which is kind of a terrible choice. Um, and it's the same with a lot of people that we talk to on a daily, on a weekly basis, um, people who do have lung disease and they are isolating because they don't want to get yelled at in the mall for wearing a mask. Or uh, now people are, are convinced that um, inhaled steroids has an impact on the environment. And it does. You know, inhalers do have an impact on greenhouse gases and so on, but a much, much, much lower level. And I think for all of the, you know, docs that we've talked to so far, uh, they're all saying we would rather see people take their medication and stay out of hospital because that uses thousands and hundreds and thousands of times more greenhouse gases than just using their inhaler. So those those types of things, and you mentioned firefighters earlier, and that's something that uh, is really really important to us, especially with the wildfires. Um, one of our docs, uh, research docs at the University of Alberta Hospital, has to has um, a research project looking at the first responders to the Fort McMurray wildfires, 
and how, regardless of how little or how much time they spent in Fort McMurray fighting those fires, they can literally see the impact on their lives. So what that means now, um, we're not sure. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, it could mean um, greater onset, quicker onset of COPD or emphysema um, or other or other things. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I find it ironic that people are kind of clamping down on inhalers. Like I, I get climate change is obviously a huge thing, and that connects to wildfires, which connects to firefighters. Um, but the fact that we're still driving around gas-powered cars hugely the majority over electric vehicles and people are clamping down on inhalers really that's that's where you're going to pick your pick your fight i don't think that's that's very valiant effort of of anyone that's championing that (laughs) well it's yeah i mean we have challenges we have we definitely and post-covid we know we definitely recognize that there there are differences not everyone has to think the same um but I think for for us in Alberta Long, we really just our interest is in keeping people out of hospitals and uh, and protecting those people who just cannot uh, cannot face life the way the rest of us do with our you know our choices. Not everyone has a choice when there's a wildfire on to go out and get that milk. Um, you know, you just don't. We have kids that aren't going to school because they have asthma so severe that they can't they can't be exposed to that smoke. And I talk to young kids five and six years old, and they've been in school thirty or forty days this year because their asthma is being triggered. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, we just need to care. And, and protect and allow people to do uh, what they need to do to protect themselves. Uh, the folks who choose to wear a mask are not harming anyone. Um, the folks who choose to, you know, uh, isolate are not harming anyone. Um, but, you know, there are things that we can do to protect our lungs using fewer chemicals, um, maybe taking the bus, getting more exercise particularly for people who do have um, lung disease. Pulmonary rehabilitation uh, is available and it's been proven to really help um, with the progression of the disease. Things that we didn't know about with my mom's emphysema um, would have been helpful in terms of just quality of life and and, uh, longevity. Definitely, yeah. So in wrapping everything up, I'd, I'd kind of like to get your opinion on just one piece of advice, whether it's general or super specific about what we, you would give to our listeners on lung disease and stigma, whether that's how to treat people with lung disease or from it, coming from the lung disease perspective and you and your mom and how to uh, maybe not combat it because that's a little bit of a strong word, but kind of uh, how you would deal with confrontation. So what's kind of one general piece of advice that you would give about lung disease and stigma? Well, I think first off, experience is a great teacher. So for those people who have that coffee, stir strike the brown ones with the teeny tiny holes, give that a try. Take two or three breaths through it because that would help us to develop empathy. And empathy is really important 
whenever you encounter someone that is different um, from you or trying to manage their life differently from you, uh, you know that lung disease affects a higher proportion of people um, with disabilities, with comorbidities, with, you know, that live in isolation. You know, there are still pockets of tuberculosis up in the Northwest Territories. So those kinds of things, um, it's just having empathy for other people that I think would go a long way towards um, better treatments and better care for, for people. Um, having a lung disease or any disease, lung cancer, cystic fibrosis, uh, diabetes should not be shameful. And people shouldn't be uh, shamed for it or having to you know, isolate themselves because they just don't want to deal with it. I think we just need to focus on the empathy side and compassion for other people. Exactly. Perfect. Thanks for that advice, Nina. And I'm sure that our listeners will be able to put it into practice themselves and share it with their friends and family. So yeah, thank you for that. You're welcome. Awesome. So that does it for our show today. I'd like to thank you for being a guest, Nina. This is, I'm surprised it took us over a year to get you on the show, considering you were the person who gave me my job in the first place. Maybe I was just scared that I'd get fired if I said something bad. No, not at all. Perfect. So uh, we'll have to have you on soon again and uh, to share your vast knowledge of lung disease. But uh, for now, I'll send us right through to our outro. That was such a great discussion with Nina. I think the intersection of social sciences and stigma is so interesting when it crosses with something like, I guess I would call a hard science, like health sciences. Being able to juxtapose these two facets is something that we at Alberta Lung deal with on a daily basis. And it is just so great to have a conversation that puts both sides into perspective. So as always, I'll just do my final three concluding thoughts from today's show. The first is about the overarching theme that many times lung diseases cannot even be seen by the naked eye to others around you. While in some cases like Nina's mother's who was in a wheelchair and on oxygen, lung disease is easy to spot in that case. In others like Nina's herself and her scent induced asthma, it often isn't very easy. it kind of it ties into well a, fur, uh, a concluding thought that I'll mention later, but just in that we always have to be we have to have empathy and and remember that so, someone as in Nina's case maybe they're not uh, they're not showing a dislike to your strong perfume they just literally can't handle it physically so we have to always remember that there's always different sides to the story there's. As I like to say, there's three sides. There's your side, there's my side, and there's the truth. And in many cases in lung disease, the true side is the person who's struggling with it. And I won't say many cases, in all the cases where the person that has a lung disease and just can't deal with the situation as it is right now, give them space, give them what they need, and don't uh, jump too quick to conclusions. My second concluding thought is about genetic conditions versus those that were brought on by the choices one has made. However, it really doesn't matter how these conditions were brought on at all, whether they were caused by smoking or genetic, whether they were caused by eating improperly or, again, genetic. 
the, the fact that a person has a health condition should be enough to kind of establish some kind of empathy in us that we don't have to challenge them on why they got that health condition. It should be enough, and, and it is enough that the fact that we can see that they're struggling in some, as, in some aspect of their life, like in Nina's mother's, and the fact that she was in a wheelchair and had to be on oxygen, that should be enough, and this goes further into stigma, but I just wanted to set kind of a base in this second concluding thought just about how it, genetic condition or condition brought on because of the choices someone's made doesn't matter. The fact that someone is struggling with a health condition is enough to grant empathy and demand empathy, I should say. My final concluding thought for this episode is about lung disease and stigma generally. So people with lung disease are already dealing with so much, never mind any verbal berating they endure or social exclusion they experience. We have to remember that anyone with a lung disease and anyone with a health condition in general, they're dealing with things that many of us can't even imagine. So as Nina said, empathy is key. Just being able to kind of put ourselves in someone else's shoes and understand that they're dealing with enough so we don't have to challenge them on that health condition or challenge them on anything that they might might struggle uh, with it, as Nina said, her her mother couldn't could only have a bath once a week. That's challenging. That's so much. So having to take her out into pub, not having to take it, wanting to take her out, her mother out into public, and not be, I guess, verbally berated by people that just don't understand the condition and don't understand. I, I guess I want to say people that are ignorant to the fact that even that that her condition was genetic and they were making fun of her that she should be in a wheelchair and on oxygen because she was a smoker. As I mentioned in my second concluding point, that shouldn't matter. The fact that they're dealing with a health condition is, I guess, if you want to say punishment enough, but the added irony, I guess, I'm not sure if it's irony, but that it was a genetic condition is just so horrible to even think of that someone would make fun of that. So when it comes down to it, Empathy is key in dealing with the stigma of lung disease and any kind of health condition in general. All right, perfect. So that'll do it for this edition of the Unsung Lung Podcast. I had a ton of fun discussing stigma, and I hope that everyone listening to this show will take even a little lesson out of it that empathy is so needed in our ever-competitive world today. For more information about this show, about Alberta Lung generally, or to donate, visit www.ablung.ca. Amazing. So with that, I'll leave you with our motto, empathy is key. Okay, just kidding. That, that's not it if you've been listening to it. How, even though that is an incredibly important saying, phrase, motto, however you want to look at it, it is incredibly important, but I will leave you with our actual motto. As always, just remember to breathe. Thank you.